And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! What's up? This is the Botching Up podcast, and this week we're talking about Full Gear 2020. As always, you're with me, Benito, and my good friend, Basil. What was that one? Uh, that was an impression of Justin Roberts telling me how much time we have left in a match. Oh, right. Okay. Actually, that's pretty good now that I know what you're doing. Thank you very much. First off, so this took place last night, which is November 7th, and a big old happy birthday to my favorite commentator, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> happy birthday, Tony. This is the second ever Full Gear. Took place November 7th in Daly's Place, as all AEW shows are taking place in Daly's Place during the corona era. Which is apparently really hot right now. Because mm, it's in Florida. As JR keeps telling me over and over well, he's again. He's a big guy, I'm sure he's probably struggling. <laughs> so we were both really looking forward to this show. It's absolutely stacked card for this pay-per-view. Maybe the best card of a Western wrestling show this year, would you agree? Yeah, I thought that this could be the best show of the year. We'll and see. we so we're both behind on AEW. I'm I'm on September and you're on October. But I actually we decided, caught up now. Oh, you've caught up completely. I caught up to watch this show. Yeah. Yeah. So we we decided to watch this show regardless, and apparently you've spent all night watching John Silver matches to get here. <laughs> <laughs> Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Um. Sadly, didn't quite live up to my expectations. No, it didn't. But at the same time, there are some real gems in here. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to go play by play on this. It's not how we usually do things nowadays, but because we weren't even going to podcast this show, but we just both got so excited about it. So we're just going to go for it. Isn't it so nice to have genuine excitement about a pay-per-view in this day and age as well? Like Regardless of the outcome of it, we were predicting matches on this thing yep. w- without having to record it and, and record the predictions. We were just doing it out of absolute genuine interest. That's to me is a rare feeling uh, in, in wrestling fandom. I felt like a kid in a candy shop yesterday. Definitely. How'd you feel today? So, uh, Gorged. <laughs> <laughs> right. It. So I didn't watch the pre-show as usual. You, you didn't miss much. It, it, AEW does this wonderful thing. I, mean, I genuinely mean that, not sarcasm, of building up um, each match. And they do a countdown to the pay-per-view and also do a buy-in. Just before the buy-in, they do about 50 minutes of promos and they carry those promos on in, into the buy-in itself. They're basically just extended versions of what you see on the pay-per-view. But those extended versions work in their own way. I was completely caught up with the storylines and into every single match more than just looking at the card from these video packages. These video packages, I don't know who produces them, but they're wonderful. I've heard that, genuinely heard, this is internet rumor, that our boy Kevin Sullivan has actually been hired and might be partaking in in creating these video packages. Oh, really? But regardless, yeah. Regardless, we we had a a buy-in match, which I think you'd actually kick yourself for missing which was Alison Kay versus Serena Deeb for the NWA champion, Women's Championship. Um, 
It's nice to see the NWA relationship continuing, even though Billy Corgan's actual promotion is dead in the water. Uh, it's also nice to see Alison Kay in a bigger promotion. And I do love the style of the old school women's belt, but this was too short to give a great star rating, but frustratingly so, if you know what I mean. Because if it had gone three, four minutes longer, this could have easily been a three and a half star match. But as it was, it was some, there was some great feeling out process and mat work between the two. But what really struck home to me was that Alison Kay was excellent at playing the, the bigger woman uh, style. The champion, Serena Deeb, had to come back her, at her in a variety of ways, which ended up in some really, really great subtle variations. This seems to me what Serena Deeb is good at. If you don't know her, she was the woman... She, I mean, she's had a, a very successful career in independent wrestling, but she was to mainstream fans the the woman that joined cm punk's straight edge society and uh shaved her head for the cause if you remember that yeah yeah so she there's stuff here where she she goes from a swinging neck breaker to hanging neck breaker um she uses variations to express the importance of working on body parts the pace was really good the story was told by the moves themselves and then she's she's working on the ankle as with most of this pay-per-view there's a lot of clever uh, psychological work of working on body parts so Deeb works brings Kay down finally breaks her down actually looks like she's hurt her and then she goes for a pin nearly gets it the foot goes on the rope Deeb gives like a vicious look and then takes the ankle that caused the rope break and just twists it into a submission for the win I love the fact that they're, they're cross-promoting. We later saw Don Callis on Impact later in the show. I love the fact that the NWA women are, are being allowed to put on good matches. I genuinely actually believe that this should have been on the main show and uh, John Silver, Orange Cassidy should have been on the pre-show. But Well, that was the original intention. Oh, really? That got bumped up from the pre-show. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Which I'll tell you why when we get to that match. Not knowing that, I would have assumed that it was because this was an NWA-only promotion. Again, one thing, that, one problem that I had with this is Alison Kay is told, we're told on commentary, Alison Kay is a free agent over and over again. So this is meant to be like a tryout match for Alison Kay. Apparently backstage they are thinking about signing her to the AEW roster. And I think they really should because I've seen her work in NWA, I've seen her work in Impact. And she can really go. She's got a good character as well, strong charisma. The problem I have with them telling me that over and over again is like a few different results in this match. You've telegraphed the finish. Like, I know that Alison Kay is not winning. If you Even if you think of it in a storyline perspective, there's no way that Billy is going to allow Alison Kay to win the NWA championship from him when he's just she's just become a free agent. Like, this is not CM Punk versus John Cena, Money in the Bank 2011. Everybody knows that Alison Kay is going to lose. So that was a small nitpick. Thunder Rosa comes out after the match. She's also now a free agent. Poor Billy Corgan. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that she's around as well. And... What I find sad, the most enjoyment I get out of the women's division is from another company. Right, yeah, so I was just about to say. So Thunder Rosa comes out, right, to set up a rematch against uh, Serena Deeb for the NWA Women's Championship. Yeah. Uh, so you've literally spoken for about 10 minutes wow. on, a, <laughs> on a woman's... That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But you've spoken that long on a women's match 
from a different organization than the company we're actually watching. And then when we get to it, I'm pretty sure we're going to have about two things to say about the actual AEW women's match. Isn't it just messed up that the NWA women's division is stronger on a Dynamite TV show than their own division? Yeah, it's a, it's a massive inherent problem at this point people have been shouting about it on the internet for a long time but now you've brought in the nwa girls like it's very 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 clear that something needs to be done pronto even this pre-show had more build to it than what Sheeda versus nyla rose had that had it had almost no build well i think i will defer from you on that women's match when we get to it but um yeah oh, i do agree with the basis of your point can i just say this we were bitching about the pre-show of Hell in a Cell. And I know I'm the only person that watches these things. But they're designed to be on YouTube for any potential buyers to think, hey, I want to watch wrestling tonight. And there seems to be a running theme in, in pretty much every promotion of let's put the shit on. And that, that doesn't work. People don't look at R-Truth versus Drew Gulak and say, this is what I want to watch. I'm going to go spend 25 quid now. This, yeah. this was a great match. This put me in the mood and it made me want to watch wrestling for the night. And that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing on a pre-show. So then our main show starts. To the surprise of a lot of people, the opening bout of the night is the tournament final of Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. The winner goes on to be AEW World Championship number one contender. I'm a big fan of them putting on this first. This, again, added so much energy. I was very excited for the show. Give me Paige, give me Omega. What a great dynamic to get the show actually up and running. After what they've done with the pre-show and and sort of knocked that out of the park, I'm well up for this. For a minute there, this was match of the night. It was utterly amazing. And like you said, Don Callis is on commentary. JR does an amazing job of putting impact over. He references them a ton of times. He even says to Don Callis, you're doing a fantastic job over there. I don't know if we smell a little bit of uh, cooperation in the air here. Hon- Maybe the two companies are going to come together. Honestly, I love this cross-promotional stuff. It's This is where... This is the difference with AEW. This is where I see that it's run by wrestlers. You know, we're not it, surviving in our little bubble. We're going to talk to Billy Corgan. We're going to talk to Don Callis. We're going to promote these other shows because all business is good business. And by helping each other out, that adds to business. I'm all up for it. Well, a little bit of backstage news here. So the Good Brothers have announced that they are very close to having a deal with New Japan and Impact. And New Japan have said that their current president is stepping down and they're more open to opening up the doors to negotiations again. And obviously all the boys in AEW are New Japan boys. So I'm wondering if we're going to see a three-way cooperation here. It's going to be a fun time. Poor Billy Corgan. I think it'd be great to be able to swap rounds like talent from all these rosters, even just for a couple of weeks to see some guys in different places. As long as a lot of dream matches. As long as they don't get lost in the shuffle, because I'm not talking about New Japan here. I'm talking about Impact. AEW is big time in comparison to Impact. In the same way that Billy lent his wrestlers out to AEW, and now Thunder Rose is a free agent. Allison K is a free agent. Don Callis should be a little bit careful because AEW is a massive step up from Impact. And if Tony Khan looks at an Impact wrestler match and thinks, ah, that guy's great, we're going to sign him, that's that's game done for Impact. So they, they have to be a little bit 
political, a little bit business businessman like here, so that AEW's not stealing away a Jordan Grace. Because if anything, that's what AEW are looking at right now. They want women's wrestlers. Uh, th- there's a reason that we're not looking at N- any NWA men cross promotional. Yeah. So, what do you think of the old but new Kenny Omega? I thought this was fantastic. This was so needed. Kenny, I love Justin Roberts announcing. Kenny Omega's various smug achievements from 2017 and like everything he's done in AEW. I, I'm not a big fan of this. I know it's got a huge tract. I know a lot of people are interested in that character. Me personally, I, I don't get the cleaner thing right. And then there's a bit on commentary where JR's like, so can can AEW please explain something for once? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, Don Callis is like, uh, it's, yeah, it's this and, you know, like that's... So Excalibur comes in and uh, corrects him and says it's about him blowing NES games out from dust. What? Yeah. So that's not where it comes from. That's what Excalibur said. And JR's okay, like, so- oh, right, thanks for the information, loser, you know. So, you know, in New Japan, you have the uh, junior heavyweights and then the heavyweight divisions. Okay. And Kenny Omega started off as one of the smaller guys, and he cleaned up the division, and he beat everyone, went up to heavyweight, cleaned out the division, beat everyone, so he got the nickname as the cleaner, because he just beats everyone. Do you want to phone up Tony Khan? Because you had four men in that booth, one of them asked a question, and the other three couldn't explain it as easily as you just did. Space, I mean, surely Omega can just tell them this shit. He's lived that history. Well, I'm, I'm glad that the, the women were slightly more clothed this time. I'm getting a bit sick of the, the 90s approach to extras, women extras in AEW. I would say I agree with you, but I think for this Kenny Omega character that's evolving, it, it makes sense for a little while as long as they don't lean into it too much. Because it's only twice now we've seen the women on the stage in Kenny Omega's entrances. I don't, I don't mind and show it, girls, I just don't want bikini girls. Okay, okay. No. But I think if they do it every time, it will be too much. But if they do it every now and then for Kenny Omega only, it kind of works. But uh, yeah, on the whole, um, Kenny change, Kenny, Kenny Omega's slow heel turn here has been really, really great. I obviously, because I'm so behind with AEW, I only just finished watching All Out. And I loved him losing the match with uh, Paige going to hit the chair and then storming out, getting into his uh, Jeep and saying, ah, you know what, I'm done. I, I, I've loved this whole slow brooding turn of, of Kenny. And despite the fact that I might not get the, the Japanese reference of it, of the whole thing, I can quite clearly tell like this is an ultra uh, wanker heel at this point. And I think it's great. This match is only happening because of a tournament, right? This isn't the end of like their rivalry. They're splitting up as a tag team. Mm-hmm. What I really loved is Kenny Omega won the match and then he just walked away without even looking at Hangman Page. Yeah. Like they, I really think these two are definitely going to go at it more with a lot more bitterness towards each other. Well, this, this is what I thought. I, I really loved this. I gave it four stars, but uh, it's obviously not the best that they can do. We know that. But it's a, it's it's strong, knowing that this is like the germination of a feud. We know that this is going somewhere. This is not the blow off. Um, when these guys get bitter together, truly bitter together, I think it's they're going to blow the the charts off. What was really what was really beautiful? There was one moment in the match uh, where Kenny Omega um, comes off the ropes slightly weird, and he buckles his knee and falls over, mm-hmm. and 
it was a bit of a botch and apparently he's not injured he's totally fine and apparently didn't even, wasn't even hurt in the match but he had the awareness that it would have looked so fake if he just got up and did a moonsault so he faked the injury and that all throughout the match he was playing up to the injury of his knee and just the professionalism of him being the awareness of him being able to do that in that moment this is the complete opposite of the wwe style in a very positive way because it actually feels like two guys are reacting to each other naturally they're both while within each other's pockets they understand each other's move sets and they can talk to each other without speaking in a way that makes their selling an offense really good for, for for both of them like i genuinely believe omega had worn down page and page was hurting and that like page then took offense to kenny and kenny sold it excellently my problem with kenny and this didn't again it's a small issue didn't stop me from thinking it was a four-star match he get towards the end the, maybe it's a japanese thing you know towards the end of every match he always I guess he's a nerd, so he's very good at creating a match where both wrestlers unleash a series of like video game esque combos. But then Paige sells them, and Kenny forgets. Kenny always forgets at the end of the match. He gets like uh, three buckshot lariats at him, or whatever, just for example. And he keeps getting up off like so, like I guess adrenaline or this Terminator thing that he does. Yeah, he hulks up. That's all it is. I got it? an issue with that, and we. I also have an issue with another member of the fucking elite that we're going to talk about about hulking up. Yeah, we'll get. To but it. We'll uh, get yeah, to no, it. this was an excellent, very well executed match that I enjoyed a hell of a lot, and I loved the finish. Two V triggers, and then Kenny goes for his one winged angel. The thing that I loved most about it was uh, like a dazed Adam Page trying to keep his head away from being tucked in by Kenny. He looked like he was going to get out of it, didn't he? Beautiful small but details, just not quite. Yeah. Great match. It's not quite. Right. Second up, we have Orange Cassidy versus John Silver. So John Silver has recently kind of been getting himself over with the crowd. So this is kind of a moment for him to stand out from the Dark Order. This was originally meant to be on the pre-show, but I think it got bumped up to be a bit of a calm down moment after Omega and Hangman. Very WWE booking that. Uh taking a calm down match i think tony khan's realized that he doesn't have a japanese audience and that he has to book like wwe Mm -hmm. um i i personally didn't like this you knew i wouldn't (laughs) like you You didn't like the bit where john silver rips orange cassidy's pockets off and eats them no it's, it's bollocks mate it's just it's shitty it's shitty comedy wrestling it's people have a go at wwe for the same thing they they rip WWE apart for this bad comedy wrestling. There's a hip. There is you have to admit there's a massive level of hypocrisy to AEW's comedy wrestling. The problem I have with this mostly is that it went way too long. Like at least when WWE does an R Truth match, it's three minutes. This was like 10, 11, 12 minutes. This was nine, it, yeah, nine minutes. If you cut the fat off this, the show would have gone at a faster pace. And it was the same with the uh, Matt Hardy film match. It was too elongated because the the matches that people weren't necessarily invested in were getting over half the time that that the matches people were. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think as a comedy match, this had no place on this show. Maybe on a dynamite, whatever. Um, and there's there was also more posturing than Bossman versus Duggan. Like it was. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I was very impressed with John Silver. He uh, looks good, doesn't he? He does look good. He's I, very fast, and his strikes are very methodical. 
if this was like a present to him for his work of getting himself over, then I feel sorry for him because the I don't understand why he should be working with Cassidy because he got himself well, over. Orange Cassidy, as much as you hate it, Orange Cassidy is one of the biggest stars in AEW at the moment. But you know, at this point in the show, I'm still positive. I know that this is a calm down match. It lasted too long for me. John Silver doing a single-handed gorilla press was impressive. As you know, that was quite something. It w- it didn't bother me too much. Uh, one thing I would say is that Orange Cassidy needs to do something with his gimmick. He needs to finally tune it instead of resting on his laurels because he feels like one of those of the month sort of things. He's getting a bit crazy frog. Um if he if he doesn't do anything about that and like change his gimmick in some way so that it still makes sense but he has more freedom to do stuff then I think he's going to end up in dark on dark in no time. Well, it looks like he's about to go into a program of Miro, which just really annoys me that they've completely dropped the ball with Miro. Miro's, yeah, Miro's. I just watched the Miro being introduced as the best man. The whole thing stinks. I don't know what they're doing with him. Yeah, so later on in the card, we have a backstage interview moment where Kip Sabian's pissed off with the best friends i know you haven't seen this bit yet but the best friends accidentally ruined their uh pinball arcade machine whatever and okay. this and this is starting a story and Miro, in the way this interview was shot Miro was behind kip Save. you couldn't even see him like one of the biggest stars on the planet first of all he should have had a match on this pay-per-view not just an interview segment and he wasn't even the main man in the interview segment he was hidden in the back it's if, fucking ridiculous if, if Miro is happy with this booking over the way that Vince booked him, then he's he's crazy. Well, apparently because... he said that he was getting full control of his character, so I think well, the... he m- might be the one fucking writing this. Well, there you go then, like because the 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 the, the way that he came in on that opening promo, he's like, uh, "I'm the best man." Like, first of all, that gimmick, just in general. I thought that man. was going to last a couple of weeks and be dropped. Oh, Jesus Christ! And then. He's like, I'm the best at everything. I'm the best gamer. Just check out my Twitch channel. Somebody needs... This is a case for somebody needing to take away creative control from somebody. Because Miro looks like a million dollars. Especially when he's wearing his Gucci t-shirts. He's jacked to the gills. They, this, he should not be in this position. No, he, he, should, he should have come in those first two weeks, fucked Kip Sabian up, fucked a few other people up, and he could be facing Kenny Omega right now. Dude, as as far as I'm concerned, as much as I love Eddie Kingston, um, Eddie Kingston shouldn't have been in that main event. You should have got to All Out, MJF versus Moxley. Moxley wins, Miro comes out, beats him up. That's it. That's literally all you needed to do. Just straight into the main event. Then he take he takes his first big loss at full gear, whatever. He comes back from it. He does like a Lance Archer sort of thing. You know, like, it was so easy. They convoluted it so hard, and they've dropped the ball so hard that he's hanging around with Kip Sabian. They've ruined ruined him already. It's ridiculous. Right, so next up on on, uh, Full Gear, we've got Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allin for the TNT Championship. Yeah. And uh, I think it's about time to give one of the up-and-comers a go with the belt. I think it's tainted slightly with the fact that Cody Rhodes dropped the belt to... Brody and only just picked it up again about two three weeks ago I was thinking about that because I didn't really understand the booking either and I thought maybe that Cody dropped the belt to Brody for two reasons to show that he's not invincible uh, so that it lessens the blow when somebody lower than Brody like Darby 
gets the championship and also to show complexities of his character because I, I think he came I haven't seen it yet but he came back with black hair and uh, showed like a darker side of himself and yeah. then obviously Darby and Cody are supposed to both be face so I think he was teasing the fact that he can be a tweener with the Brody stuff so that when Darby got the championship he could have that little bit of doubt I feel like they're going to go into a tag team for a little while and then Cody's going to turn on him and go go full heel so in that period as well um, Cody was also filming a TV show okay which is why he was off TV for a while. Oh, I see. But I don't, I don't understand why he had to lose the championship to do that. I guess because I he's like a working champion, as he always calls himself. Yeah, but he's the anyway. Th- th- this match, I, th- I actually think it's not the best match on the card, but I actually think this is my favorite match of the night. Really? Yeah, because I really love the story being told. Like you said, Cody Rhodes is still a face. He's still the good guy, but he can be the bad good guy. He's got a darker side to him. That we can still love him and support him, but he can be the bad guy when he needs to be to make Darby Allen look that much better. Well, you know what? Uh, when Cody talked about how he doesn't believe that there should be faces or heels in wrestling anymore, everybody laughed at him. I think out of the AEW roster, he's the only person still following that, and he's the only person actually achieving it because he's so smug and proud and entitled. And like, I love the fact that his entourage is now includes. Billy Gunn and his son, you know, and it's get, it's getting out of control and his ego's slowly getting out of control, which is the reason that he lost this match. But at the same time, as you said, the guy is, there's some, he's just likable. So he's, he's playing a fallible character, which th- they've tried to do with Adam Page with his drinking, but not very successfully. Cody's managing to do that just by his in-ring which is very, very impressive. Well, I re- So, talking about his entourage, I really love the story. Even in the entrances, before the match even starts, Darby Allen drives to the arena alone. He sits in the corner, and then Cody comes out with this huge entourage. He has mm. all the people. He's the people's champ. He's the face of TNT, of A&W. Um, Darby Allen is a loner. How could he ever be the TNT champion? He's nowhere near good enough. Even the size difference between the two. There's no way. It's a David versus Goliath, not just in size, but just in social status. That that was so good in so many ways because it was, it was a multitude of things. It was big versus small. It was honed athlete versus... Uh, plucky street dweller you know it was scientific approach versus high-flying underdog there was so many different um, shades to this match which put them in so many different categories that I thought it was really quite astounding it's a very very clever uh, way of storytelling as Cody Rhodes matches always are but the actual match itself I didn't have much time for really well no I didn't let me rephrase that I, I, I liked it I liked it a lot I gave it the same rating as I gave Sheeta Rose. It's just, with these, this show, Darby Allen, Cody Rhodes, Sheeta, Nyla Rose, uh, John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho, MJF. Like, I had varying degrees of expectation from each of these matches. They, they weren't all, I wasn't expecting them all to be great, but they all seemed to just fail the mark just slightly for me. Not... Not in a, like, a, it was a bad, it was just kind of, whatever my estimation for them was, it didn't quite get there. There's There was something missing in a lot of the marquee matches tonight. I don't know, this one did everything it needed to do for me. Okay. 
It made Darby Allen look like an absolute superstar, but kept Cody Rhodes strong, and that there's obviously going to be a rematch, and there's a reason for it. I thought tonight, and I'm talking about in-ring here, I'm not talking about movie fucking matches, I thought tonight had a series of really good finishes, and this was one of them. Um, I believe that the finish of almost every single match was perfect. Um, and the the finish of this match, right? So they do their finishes, and then they're just rolling each other up. So Cody Rhodes has no respect for Darby Allen pretty much through the entire match. He's downplaying his abilities. He thinks that he's easy an easy win. So they do their finishes, and they're just doing roll-ups on each other. And as a wrestling fan, we've come to know that no one ever wins in an exchange of roll-ups. They roll each other up about three times, and then Darby Allen just gets it. I think this is perfect for two things. One, it betrays Cody's character, and hopefully we're going to get a whole range of awesome promos out of this that will lead to a rematch. But two, this has set a new precedent, I think, in wrestling, that from now on, when you see that spot of a load of roll-ups, they could win. Yeah, WWE tried to do that with Drew McIntyre getting backslide pins, but it didn't have the same effect here. Uh, This was a lot more realistic. This actually didn't feel like a cop-out. This felt understandable, like... The science that you can have all of the science of the game that you want, you know, but you you might get caught. I liked it a lot. Mm, yeah, I think it was perfect. So then after the match, uh, Taz and his wrecking crew come out, and again another perfect moment. Uh, both Brian Cage and the other guy that I don't really like so much. Ricky they Starks. both pick up the TNT. Yeah, they both pick up the TNT belt at the same time. And then have an awkward moment where, like, oh, I want to be the champ. No, I want to be the champ. Taz tells them they have to calm down. Anyway, they they fuck up Darby Allen. They go to smash his arm in a car door. And then Will Hobbs makes the save. I think Will Hobbs and Darby Allen are going to be the tag team, not Cody. Okay, so, I mean, I came out of this. I really hope not, actually, because Will Hobbs has not been introduced to me really at all. I think he debuts um, soon where you are. Okay, does he get, like, strong mid card wins at least? Um, he beats Ricky Starks and makes the save a couple of times for... He makes a save for John Moxley at one point, and he makes a save for Darby Allen. So, so I mean, I can only speak from my September, your September self, because that's where I'm at. But I, when I first saw this match, I was really happy that Darby was out of this mid-card feud with Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. This is as much as I love Taz, and I think Taz is doing a phenomenal job of trying to sell it. Brian Cage and Ricky Starks are not working. There's something it just doesn't click. There's not, and Ricky Starks was really great in NWA. Brian Cage was really great in Impact. They just don't suit each other. They don't, and like they don't really add any sort of menace. Yeah, it's to a weird stable, isn't it? So I was quite happy to see that, like potentially a Cody Darby tag against those two to get them out of the way, and then Cody comes back on Darby, but. If Will Hobbs is decent, then I'm cool with that as well. Well, I just really hope Darby Allen's going to like kind of beat them in the next month or so, and then he moves on to something bigger. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So we go backstage with the natural nightmares, and fuck me, this is bullshit. So QT Marshall is pissed off that Ali has gone back to the Butcher and the Blade. He's pissed off that um she's now uh, dating the Blade again because Eddie Kingston came in and told that his gang of his family or whatever need to get their shit together and that's it we've not like it was never explained that she's not with them anymore and now all of a sudden there's like this blood feud feud going on like as much as i love aew so many times they just run with things without explaining shit 
I didn't even notice the promo. My eyes glazed over for, for the promo. What bothered me was that they're doing a TNA. This is something that TNA did every pay-per-view. Hey, look, you spent 20 quid on this show. But look what we've got coming up for you on our TV show. Yeah. You don't use the pay-per-view to sell the television. You use the television to sell the pay-per-view. Like, how is that still not understood? But that's kind of what I'm saying. So they do this segment. Dustin Rhodes is going to have this bunkhouse match or whatever. And this is the setup for the TV match down the line. Well, it, surely they should have had something set up for this pay-per-view. Cody can now use the Rhodes name. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention uh, this show was the first time that he can be called Cody Rhodes. And what was really amusing was JR's little quip saying, that's one of my screw-ups. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I assume JR like, uh, called that contract. But um, The thing I was going to say about this is, um, so Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall are facing the Butcher and the Blade in a bunkhouse match, bunkhouse brawl. On the, the same day that WWE let go of Co- the Rhodes name for Cody, do you know what they acquired? What did what bunkhouse brawl? What what is that? I know it's a dust and dusty thing. It's basically just where wrestlers like wear jeans and hit each other outside. Oh okay. But but WWE have re- acquired the the rights to that name, uh, quite pettily, and I think Cody has responded by like using it a week before it comes into fruition or something. Oh, I think that's okay. the only reason it was on the pay per view. Oh okay, that's. That's fun, actually. I like that. But I still don't like the idea that the, this whole feud has come out of nowhere and she's she switched alliances for, for no reason. We don't know why. I, I had absolutely no idea what was going on because I thought that... Anyway, I whatever. I didn't pay it. much attention, honestly, but like I, I thought that Ali was in a tag team with Brandy Rhodes. Yeah, all of that, all of this was being set up. She has a whole new life now, and all of a sudden, no, she's back with the Butcher and the Blade. We don't know why, and now they're going to feud over her. Surely they should feud over her before she switches sides. Okay. Yeah, right, no, I'll... fuck it, whatever, it's bullshit. Well, Sheeta versus Nyla Rose. for you later on. Sheeta versus Nyla Rose for the AW Women's Championship had one week's build, and the whole build was Nyla Rose needs a rematch from when she'd have beat it from her at double or nothing. <sighs> okay, so... <laughs> this is the part okay. of the show where I was starting to get really riled up. All right, all right. So hear me out. I can't believe I'm defending AEW's women's division in front of you. Okay. Good luck. I kind of feel like... <laughs> I kind of feel like I've watched Sheeda mature before my very eyes since since May, since Double or Nothing. Yeah, but she gets no TV time and she's whoa, the champion. Whoa, 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 whoa. She's, I get that. I get that. I'm just looking from the basis of this match. I'm not looking at Dynamite um, because I completely agree with you. Yeah, because on Dynamite, Big Swole gets more TV time than Sheeda. Yeah, and nobody actually likes Big Swole. No. But, what, you know, whatever. She, so, Sheeda, to me, f- coming out to this match since Double or Nothing, the last time they those two faced each other... She's become like uh, more accomplished, confident, and and interesting in general since since the last time. And I love the fact that she came out of this. She came into this match as a dominant champion. She was pushing Nyla Rose around, and then they had that wonderful spot where one of my favorite spots on the show, where out of nowhere, Nyla Rose is about to get pinned to three. Sheeta comes up vicious looking, 
pulls Nyla's hair up and says, nah, I ain't done. Yeah. I want, I want to hurt you. Yeah. And like, to, to me... That uh, breaking up of the pin was a nice throwback to what Nyla Rose was doing at the beginning of the year. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that's what Nyla Rose, I think, actually did in that championship match as well, back at Double or Nothing. So it's a nice little uh, contrast of like, they've, they've switched who is the dominant woman now. I like the fact that a at the very least AEW is sticking with Sheeta and saying, "This is our woman. We're not going to make an action figure of her because we want to make one of Brandy Rhodes first, who does nothing. But this is our female champion, and we're actually going to push her." Nyla Rose, on the other hand, is a different story in this match. I just, I just, it's, uh, just the whole story is throw Vicky Guerrero in, and maybe people will care. Yeah, nobody and, cares about Nikki Vicky but, Guerrero. But you're right, like Ashida and even Nyla Rose, like the match was decent, kinda. The match is always decent between these two, like, but yeah, regardless but, of whether they're interesting or not. But I just don't understand why they have no. A, NWA has more TV time than these women have. I agree that something needs to change, and this is what we were talking about in the pre-show. And it, like, I don't know how many times we have to say this. It's the equivalent of when we review a WWE show, and I say considering the situation they put themselves in, they did a pretty good job. It's the exact same point. We make it over and over and over and over again. AEW need to do one of two things. They either need to steal other people's talent, put them into their own, do something with the women's division, give it its separate show if you want. That's what WWE did in the in 2000s. Uh, they had their own women's show for a while. Do you know what this uh, Heels is? It's just, it's for as far as I'm aware... Is it a reality Bra- show? It's, it's Brandy having a, a chat about being a woman with wrestlers. Oh, okay. But they, they need to put time, money, and effort into AEW's women's division, or they need to throw it away altogether. Right. Like, so those are the two options. If you really can't run a women's division, just be a male division. Don't just... <laughs> tack it on to say oh we do women too here you know yeah don't don't pretend either do it or don't I get that so coming out of this match Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose have an awkward moment so even coming out of this match the story is still not about Shida it's about Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero who no one gives a fuck about so Shida has I feel so like she's the champion and she's got nothing to work with I thought I thought she had a good showing here, and I thought she was booked really strong. She always has a good showing. Every time she's in the ring, she's not the problem. I, she's I did amazing. think she was. I did think she was booked strong here. The problem is the fact that she has no opponents. She's got no one to face her. There's no one going around. They fucked up Britt Baker's return as well. She was meant to come back hot as this massive heel, and she's barely even around. Uh, maybe it's who you know, because I, Big Swole has shown me nothing. She was even irritating as a crowd member. So I don't. I have no idea why she's being booked. But what was this thing out out of this match? So I I read an article say like Vicky Guerrero humiliates Nyla Rose, who just stands there and looks sad. Yeah, like what? What are you serious? You know, like how to just humiliate? Uh, not only has, has Nyla just been destroyed by Sheeta, but then she gets embarrassed and upset by Vicky Guerrero. And, and does nothing about like the it. Monster heel of the women's division as well. She didn't even hit Vicky. She, she just stood there looking sad. And apparently, this face criticism. I don't read AEW internet opinion anymore because it either goes one way or the other for my liking. I'm not 
on either in either of those camps i like a lot of stuff i hate a lot of stuff but i read that um this finish has been really condemned by pretty much everybody and uh tony khan made a statement in the press conference afterwards and said i spend a lot of time watching and writing AEW dark and now i have to admit that a lot of people don't yeah and this was my wake-up call. So apparently this has been a thing on Dark for a couple of weeks and you realise nobody watches the show. Which is what I was going to say earlier about it, maybe the explanation behind Ali turning to the dark side. Maybe this shit is just all on Dark and nobody nobody's watching it. They've learnt that lesson from being the elite. They've realised that not enough people are watching being the elite and they need to actually explain things on Dynamite. You're finally coming to more around to my perspective that this stuff is just too internal now. I've always agreed with it. I've My opinion was in the early days that everything was aimed at the people that are watching everything. But then as their audience is growing and it's growing quicker than anyone expected, even them, that they they need to start being more sensible with how they book their stories. Yeah, they need to sort this stuff out before the, the video game's out. Right, so next up we've got FDR, Tag Team Champions versus the Young Bucks. If the Bucks lose, they'll never get a shot ever again. This was probably the best match on the card. Definitely, 100%. This was the best match on the Hell in a Cell card. <laughs> <laughs> um Again with the again with the telegraphing of the finish, you didn't have to add if the Young Bucks lose, they're never challenging for the tag team championship again. Everybody instantly knew the Young Bucks were winning. It's a bit different with Cody because you knew that if Cody could never get a champion world championship match, there's plenty of for him to do yeah. in singles. If you if if the Bucks aren't allowed to challenge for the tag match, well they might as well find a different promotion. Well the tag, a tag team, team division is pretty deep in AEW. Yeah, but what are they supposed to do? What I'm saying is, how many tag teams do you have against singles wrestlers? Yeah, I guess it's, so. It makes sense for Cody. It doesn't make sense for Bucks. And it already telegraphed that they were winning. I think the problem was that this is a dream match for the last five years. Like, people have been wanting this match. People have been calling that these two teams are the best tag teams in the world. And they wanted this match to happen. And the two teams were teasing it on social media back when they were in different companies. And it was important. Back before AEW even existed. And it was impossible for them to have the match. And then finally, they got into the same company. And it was like, oh, holy shit, this is actually going to happen. And then they kind of just didn't do it. It got to the, the point where they, they greenlit this match. And there was no story there. And I think they realized a bit too late, only a couple of weeks before this match, that every tag team wrestling fan around the world has been waiting for this for years. And they've done nothing to hype it up. So I think they added that in just to try and give it a little extra flavor. They rested on their laurels a little bit too much about how people wanted to see the match instead of realizing that they needed to put a story around it. Yeah, because everyone still wanted to watch it, but like you still you, you still want to be interested to watch it. So before we start, I gave this four and a quarter. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I feel like you, you've enjoyed it more than me, so I want, I want you to do your opinion first because you know I have issues with the Bucks. I absolutely love that Matt's leg was injured and then Dax's hand got injured. So no flips, just fists. The Young Bucks couldn't flip and FTR couldn't use their fists. Simple. I also love the fact that FTR, uh, Dax getting the hand injury was a really great 
idea. Uh, obviously, we knew that Matt Jackson was already injured, and just creating an evil, equal playing field so that it, it still felt intense, still feel, felt like nobody had an advantage. Really good idea. And I love the fact that they did, I don't know whether you noticed this, the old school gimmick where they tape up the entire hand apart from the cut. Okay. So as if... Well, so it continues to gush and look bad. Well, no, no, more, more so like if that's to the cut, imagine what the rest of his hand looks like. Oh, right, okay. Right? Sure. So you think it's worse than it actually is? Yeah, yeah. Cash does a baseball slide and physically cuts the ring off. I, I, he does it pretty much every match. Such a small maneuver. Uh, s- so good. Uh, proper tag team wrestling. Love that. So, about proper tag team wrestling, they, uh, the Young Bucks said that people have been wanting to see these two tag teams go at it for so long. They wanted to make this a proper love letter to tag team wrestling. They did a homage to all of the greatest tag teams there have been in the last 20 years or so and i love that the bucks did a homage like the hardys the dudleys people like that and ftr used moves from like the heart foundation the road warriors the steiners um they also referenced uh midnight express and the other express rock and roll express yeah that's it and it was just great that like this wasn't like meant to be the greatest combination of everything tag team it wasn't just the the four guys in the ring it was like a love it was like an ode to tag team wrestling. And I really got that. Like, I love the fact that they started the pace slow, warmed up to it. Some really close two counts, the Swanton bombs, the sharpshooter bit, I thought was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I can see there's uh, there were elements of this where I can see why people really go mad over the Bucks. There's elements of brilliance there where when they're, when they're deep in the movement, mostly in their tag when... They do a lot of misdirection with with their opponents. Like they go for Nick goes and does something, but Matt's on the side wings to go in for a drop kick to the head, and then Nick comes back. Like it's it's really great, smooth um, chain tag stuff, and I really like that. And this was one of the better Bucks matches I've seen in a very long time. And I'm not even, for once, I'm not going to let my bias overtake me and say that that was mostly because FTR were in it. <laughs> Bucks, were, Bucks were great in this. I did have a problem with Matt Jackson. Of course um, you did. Oh, you know what? I actually prefer Matt to Nick because Nick is uglier. But, <laughs> 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 but Matt here, I had issues with it because it, like everybody was aware. They turned it into storyline. They put it in Dynamite that he was injured. So he then goes to start off the match, right? So I thought, okay, so he's he's showing FTR that like he's not that injured, he can go. But then he was in this match for three quarters. Nick was not in this in this match much, and it started beca- becoming less of a telling FTR that he could still go, and more of like a bloody-minded, I can out wrestle you with an injury. And then it got a bit John Cena. It got a bit. I'm not going to sell this leg bit, but I'm going to sell this leg bit, but I'm not going to sell this bit. And like even to the point where I think he gets put in a, a, rev- a reverse figure four leg lock after a lot of a lot of damage to the the leg or the ankle or whatever it is that's already been, we've told, severely damaged. And then just stays in that, in that figure four for 10, 12 seconds. Yeah, because Nick was, takes a long time to make the save on that, doesn't he? Yeah, but it just really felt like Matt 
Jackson decided that he was John Cena in this match. And I I would have appreciated the match more. I actually would have given it an even higher star rating if they just had Nick in more. They kept doing like the hot tag spot and Matt was, was always fine. the victim. But that was fine for the first 10 minutes because they, they were building to that hot tag and it was really good. Uh, so to the, the point where when Nick actually finally got the hot tag, I, I nearly cared, mm. uh, which, is, which is saying something for the Bucks and me, you know? But then Matt's in the ring again about three minutes later. No, I totally get what you're saying. Like, selling has never been their strong point. And their style of uh, tag team wrestling has always been quick tags, fast motion. So selling a long-term injury doesn't really fit well with that method of wrestling. But it just seemed that it seemed more than that. It seemed that Matt Jackson had to prove that he could do anything with a severe leg injury as opposed to Cash and Dax were tagging far more frequently. I don't yeah. know. It, it's a small... Don't, don't let me put it out of control because it was a small gripe. I really loved this match. It was the best match on the show by My far. My only problem with this match is that chair moment. Where Matt Jackson brings a chair into the ring. Yeah, that was a bit. N- yeah, Nick Jackson is telling him not to use it. The ref is telling him not to use it. Obviously, he would have lost by DQ. And if this had played into the finish somehow, like I would have understood why it was there. But as it was just an insulated spot and nothing really came of it, the FDR didn't really get the upper hand because of it. I, I just don't understand why it happened. Yeah. It's, That's my only gripe that, with the match, I think. It didn't bother me as much. It, it just it was slightly disappointing that they didn't just tag in Nick more because it, it did start to feel a bit like egotism on Matt's part. But this was an excellent match and an excellent tag team match. I will give the Bucks the credit where it's due. Uh, they were just as good in this as FTR. I thought you were going to shit all over this. No, I, um, I enjoyed it a lot. And then an absolute perfect finish. Cash basically has Mac Jackson for the win, but as a final fuck you, he decides to do a slingshot 450 splash. FDR are so against <laughs> dives and flips, and yet he goes for it and eats nothing but canvas. Matt was playing possum. He gets up, super kicks Cash for the win. They become champions. I don't know whether FTR are going to stay in AEW, but if they are, this is just an amazing character arc to continue the story down the road. Yeah, honestly, man, anybody that shits on this finish doesn't like wrestling. This was perfect because this was they put themselves into a, a bit of a difficult situation because the Young Bucks really needed to win this match. At the same time, uh, FTR have only just gained some sort of steam. They've only had the belts for two, three months. How do you get out of that? You get out of that by one person being too cocky, having yeah. to give the last laugh and say, you know what, I can do what you do better than you, only for that guy to come back and say, no, I do it best. What, yeah. just perfect, perfect stuff. Um, I'm sure our man Jim Cornette will shit all over the match, but from pure bias, but I'm sure in his head, at the very least, he th- he'll think that's a great finish. You can't you can't get a better finish than that to get out of the match and protect both guys, both both teams. Should have heard Meltzer talking about this match. Oh, I don't want to. He, Fuck, he no, absolutely no, go away. <laughs> but anyway, they this is a Meltzer with... safe zone, dude. But I love Meltzer. Go away, dude. You know you sound more like Meltzer than Cornette when you talk, right? Gosh, don't tell anyway, me. anyway, right, Alvarez. Fuck off. <laughs> Anyway, they were also talking about the fact that FDR 
Um, a while back, we don't know if anything unofficial has happened, but a while back they said they weren't signing exclusively with AEW and that they wanted to wrestle people like the North and they also wanted to go to New Japan. So there's an idea here that maybe they've, they've done this dream match with the Bucks and now they might go elsewhere for a little bit and come back to AEW in a year's time, maybe. Honestly, I don't. Th- I think um, FTR have done what they wanted to do and they've kind of started to realise that AEW's tag team division maybe isn't as deep as they thought it was going to be, and they well they, they very quickly ran through all the tag teams. Yeah, like I, I know people will talk a lot about how great AEW's tag team division is, and I would say that they spend a lot of time with it. That's the positive I would give it. They they do spend a lot of time building it up and making it a thing. In terms of actual talent, there. A, a team like FTR, especially coming out of that lockdown WWE contract, I think they really want to face the actual best in the world. And um, as you've got like quite a few good teams in AEW, but I don't think it represents the best tag teams in the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if FTR go play around a little bit, go maybe Impact, Ring of Honor, Japan, just check out every, do everything that they want to. Because yeah. like I feel like they took the WWE contract stuff harder than most, so they really want to face the best in the world, have the best matches in the world, and they achieved that tonight, so they might well be done. Yeah, well, they had a match with the Bucks, and they've had a match with Kenny Omega, so it's time to... I think they would have a lot of fun in Japan being the American badass bad guys. I think that would suit them. I do want to see a match with the North, though. I think that would be great. I've never got into the North. People love the North. I just can't get into them. I like them a lot. I, I don't know. I think yeah, no, big, it's a me thing, not a them thing. One of the biggest travesty, travesties of the AEW tech division is Santa, Santana and Ortiz. Yeah, they. Who knew that they were better off in Impact? It's so it's sad. As this match ends, Omega comes out to celebrate with his boys, like the Elite, together, and then not too many people noticed this. Did you notice this? Hangman was in the tunnel. He was going to yeah, come out yeah, and yeah. celebrate with them too, but then he saw Omega get there first and just stood there for a minute and was like, "Nah, this that's not for me." This is where AEW is at its best. Great little booking like this. Just little little things. They don't overpoint it out. If you see it, you see it. Just great stuff. If you couldn't have had a more toxic idea of what I detest, just detest, (laughs) about AEW, my man Excalibur, yeah, your boy, I I hate him so much, he was in the video packages wearing a Lou Reed shirt, and I just detested the fact that we had anything in common, Um, Excalibur says... There won't be any happy beers in the Bucks locker room tonight. Just happy Frappuccinos. Ugh! Like, oh, how can you be any more fucking dislikable? And, it, like, it's not just the Bucks being dislikable. It's the fact that Excalibur says it with, like, a swing in his step. Like, he's not mocking them. <laughs> he's like, yeah. man, that sounds like a really great place to be. Uh, this is it's not made for me it's not made for me I'm I totally get what you're saying it makes him sound like losers I only guess he's still playing on the story that Hangman's an alcoholic and that they're alcohol free I don't care no I I know you don't care I'm just I don't care (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway. Okay. But no, I just... No, no, it added to the gimmick. I, I hated the Young Bucks even more, and they they kind of want me to start disliking them, right? You, so they it's want, fine. I but... think all of the elite are going heel. Okay, so let's move on, and this is, this is going to give me a heart attack. Here we go. Oh, man. The Elite Deletion. Another fucking B-movie match. I'm really... Detest, detest it. Oh, I can't even talk. I'm so angry. I really dislike that AEW has gone down this wormhole of having a B movie match at every single pay per view now. Yeah, and I mean they're all bad. Yeah, there hasn't been a single success one, since I mean, the uh, why, since the American football pitch, which divided opinion in itself. The the stampede. Yeah, so. The whole reason of doing a B-movie match is that you would do something that you can't do in an arena, right? Either because a dangerous stunt or you need, like, editing to do stuff. In this, we had a monster truck and fireworks. Uh, the only two things you couldn't have done in Daily's Place. And then when you sit back and, and actually think... Woods. But when you sit back and actually think about it, a monster truck could be in that car... We know there's a car park in Daily Place, like, 100 feet from the ring. So they could have done the monster truck spot. And there's hardly any fans in the arena. They could have done the firework thing in a backstage area or in the car park. So they did nothing in Matt Hardy's garden that they couldn't have done in an arena. So it's pointless also, and bullshit. Also, WWE stopped doing this shit ages ago for a reason. They gave up with it. They they could see that it wasn't working. There's, there's uh, you know, follow the trends. WWE gets a really bad rap across the internet. But it's, it's very much that toxic that toxic uh, fan base that leads AEW to making bad decisions. This was an abomination. This was uh, so bad. First 20 minutes of it, I thought was fine, but the, the finish, I mean, really, like, I've actually disgusted. Well, bef- before but, uh, we get to the finish, there's two cameos of Gangrel and Hurricane Helms, both of which were pretty bad. What, the, what was Gangrel doing in this? Apparently he trained Sammy or something, so he came to his aid. So Sammy's part of the brood, and I, I, this is the problem. This is this is the problem that you have with AEW doing not long term booking, but just like bullshit. Nobody understands. Apparently, in one of the very first of these deletion matches, Hurricane Helms got kidnapped. So in this one, Hurricane Helms was like, "You finally saved me two years later," and Matt Hardy goes, "Long term booking." So that's not long-term booking. That's like this an inside the, joke that none of us fucking understand. This is the exact problem that I always... And I get it. This is your, this is your problem. You with finally AEW. understand it then because they were talking about something that you didn't get. I mean, like, right... And obviously it works and they listen to the crowd reaction. They think, hey, we knocked it out of the park again. Right at the end of the match, some guy comes to pick up Sammy's dead body and the crowd pops like crazy. The crowd's been silent all night. Like, I haven't heard the crowd. They pop for Senor... Benjamin. Which I... Like, What? who the fuck is that? So have you not watched any of these deletion matches? No, and I shouldn't have to. I'm watching AEW. I'm not watching Impact Wrestling from 2016. I shouldn't yeah, I have to watch anything from three years ago in a different promotion to understand what I'm watching, what I've paid £20 for. I think Matt Hardy needs to change his gimmick to be able to stay in AEW. He's becoming scarily unwatchable, <laughs> lack of a better Matt word. Matt Hardy is the worst signing uh, AEW have made since they started. Typical TNA of taking a WWE wrestler because they're a WWE wrestler, 
putting them into your promotion. They're not working. You don't change anything. Second of all, I've just gotten out of August in AEW. Matt actually says on air, basically, we can tell that the broken thing's not working. You're not really into it. So you're going to see a new side of Matt Hardy. You're going to see the real Matt Hardy. Yeah, and his new side was fucking boring. This is the problem. Broken Matt Hardy doesn't work in AEW, and regular Matt Hardy is just plain and boring. So they've gone back to broken? Well, I, I seems so. Just to finish this Sammy Guevara story off, but then I'm worried it's going to continue past this. Matt needs to go. As far yeah, as I, I agree. You agree with me? And I love Matt Hardy. You know him for a long time that I've always preferred Matt Hardy over Jeff, but right now it's just not working. Hey man, I've got time for Matt Hardy. Like I've Matt Hardy's always at the very even if I haven't enjoyed his gimmicks, he's always refreshed himself. He's got longevity. But he, he he does not suit AEW. He shouldn't be in AEW. And he's dragging everything down with yeah. everybody that he's with. And this is why he needs to fuck off. The, the ending of this match was utterly horrible. And, and people online seem to like it. And I don't know why. This was so distasteful. So distasteful. But so just, they- just before we get to this bit, they couldn't help but make a dive at Jim Cornette. At one point, they said, uh, Matt said, Sammy, you better get up. Otherwise, old folks are going to think this is a mud show while Sammy was in mud. How was that aimed at Cornette? That was aimed directly at Cornette because Cornette is the only guy that shouts mud show over and over again. They didn't do a great job of proving him wrong. Mm. All they did was draw attention to the fact that in this case, at least, he's completely right. I think in this case, he is right. So the ending of the match... They're in the ring inside this shed. They go for a table. They get up from the table and Matt Hardy spears Sammy Guevara out of the ring for another table. So this is a callback to when Matt Hardy was speared off the cherry picker for a table but Sammy Guevara went too far and Matt Hardy hit his head on the concrete. You remember this? Yeah. I've only just watched it. Okay. And he got knocked out and everyone said the match should have been called off. They shouldn't have continued. So this was a callback to that but obviously it was faked. When the camera comes around a ring, Sammy Guevara's on the floor with his head in the pool of his own blood. He's obviously got a head injury. Now, this match is a match in someone's garden. It's not a B-movie. There's a ref there. The ref should have called it off and been like, this guy's going to fucking die. Stop. The ref doesn't do anything. So Matt Hardy does a fucking concerto to fuck up Sammy Guevara even more. He calls in private party who are completely complicit of this whole thing. They don't stand there and say, you've gone too far, you're fucking crazy. They put Sammy Guevara into a fucking wheelie bin and then put him onto a truck. I, from now on, will never see Matt Hardy or private party as the good guys. They're fucking evil bastards. And they've ruined private party as fun, lovable, jump around good guys. These are fucking distasteful murderers. Like how can you how can you defend their actions? This was a tone deaf, repellent, irresponsible finish. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. There was a guy in two thousand and two who was twenty two years old, working a American football gimmick in the WWF, and took a head injury and could never wrestle again. He spent his entire life talking about head injuries in sports and professional sports ever since he's got a foundation about the trouble with head industry and he's he's get given a lot of trouble to wwe over the years who he's attested in front of courts and congress 
aren't safe working environments for people that are avoiding head injuries. This is a slap in that guy's face. It's one thing to have an angle. It's quite another to play on an angle in which Matt Hardy's life could have been completely altered, if not completely finished. Two months later, to make a gimmick out of it, it's not even like it was played cartoony. This was dark and disgusting. Uh, they had blood all over the concrete. I d- it was genuine gape that I actually couldn't believe that they'd done it. Then, like, that was bad enough. Then the, con- the, the, the chair smashed over the head brutally. And then grim, obscene, horrible way possible. Not fun, not entertaining, not wrestling. He, he gets thrown in a bin. Um, in the same way that a serial killer chops up somebody and throws their victim in a bin and gets wheeled out just disgusting like it was bad enough when they just did the the, i thought the ring ropes was going a bit far the ring ropes around the neck i thought that was bad enough really that was as far as it could go this was horrible this was repugnant It's, it's got no place on a wrestling show um, and can you now ever look at private party again in the same way no private party are fucked Private party are fucked. So Matt Hardy is doing more harm to the AEW roster than he is helping at this point. Yeah. And yeah. if this is not the launch pad of a Sammy Guevara face turn to make him a sympathetic good guy, then this whole thing is for nothing, has made everyone look worse than how they started. I assume Sammy and Jericho are turning face against MJF, but that's that's not really the point here. The point is that this should have never been signed off on. Yeah, this shouldn't have been thought up, let alone signed off on. You don't make light of an injury that nearly, like, could easily cause you to be permanently brain damaged or in a wheelchair or dead. Another thing about it was it was so dirty and, and, like, low budget and, like, in somebody's warehouse. After all the stories that you've heard in real life and wrestling life about sleazy, horrible things happening to people, this... There was no instance of comedy in this at all. It wasn't funny. I felt like I was watching a snuff movie. Well, I don't think Broken Matt Hardy was ever meant to be funny. It was always meant to be a like twisted, dark character. But that, that's not the point. This was totally unnecessary. I'm glad. Really, that, um, yeah, really pissed I, me off. I'm not glad that you didn't like it either because I, I knew instantly as soon as I'd seen that that you would not be cool with this either. No, it really pissed me off. Not only for the reasons I hated it, for the fact that it's ruined all the characters, but like you said as well, like this is such a bad image yeah. for AEW to have. There's a reason that order needs to happen in promotions so that they can retain an aura of professionality. And if you if you allow everybody creative control, Matt Hardy might come up with an idea that goes far too far and ruin Private Party, and Myro might ruin himself. Yeah, okay, well let's... Let's move on from this shit, I'm done with it. Right, so then, if I wasn't already angry enough, this happens. We get a promo of Lance Archer beating some guy up in an alleyway, like he has been doing for eight months. Then Jake the Snake walks out and says, Lance Archer's hungry, and he wants to beat someone up, like he's been saying for eight months. This is the exact same thing they've been doing since they first started in AEW. Just... Please, can Tony Khan give this guy yeah. a storyline so that they can just say something different than this generic bullshit they say every week? I haven't seen him do anything else since he had that TNT Championship match with Cody. Which was like six months ago. Yeah, it was uh, double, double or nothing. 
May. Five months ago. Well, it's pretty, but your your point stands. I I feel like Just they give think him that something else to do. I feel like they think that they're giving him stuff to do just by putting his promo on the pay-per-view. They're like, oh, there you go. Like, this, uh, you know, in AEW, it's starting to be noticeable as to who's mates with who on the card. But Lance Archer, I thought, was one of the the Japanese boys, you know? I thought he was friends with everyone and that he was going to come in and be this huge monster. But I guess not. Okay. Whatever. Well, that pissed me off. (laughs) So then... it was all. It was all kind of. There was a point after the FTR Young Bucks where it just kind of felt like they didn't really know how to finish the show. Yeah, because then we go into Chris Jericho versus MGF, and this didn't piss me off, but like it wasn't spectacular either. It did have a very nice finish, but the actual match was a bit weird. Yeah, it didn't it didn't work well together. Um, MJF is a good worker, I think, but he needs someone who can actually go in the ring, like a Jungle Boy or a Moxley, and then he he moves up to a different level. Obviously, Jericho can't provide that at this point, and without a proper crowd, there's not enough smoke and mirrors for Jericho to hide behind. So it it doesn't become a Rock versus Hogan. It becomes a Rock versus Hogan with no fans in attendance, and Hogan's way more out of shape than he was at that match, which just leads to a match like it was a match there's nothing did else you not- to say about it did you notice as well that Chris Jericho worked face throughout pretty much all of this match yeah I saw he I saw he twisted himself around there um honestly and sadly Jericho came off better out of this than MJF I think this definitely didn't live up to the hype but it did have a nice ending where they do the whole Guerrero refs back is turned and faked being hit by a weapon so he turns around, Jericho tries to explain what happened, and then MJF wins with a schoolboy. With that win, MJF is now embraced into the inner circle with Wardlow. I did really enjoy the finish. I liked MJF playing Jericho at his own game, which is what this whole feud is about. I also, a quick shout out to Jericho giving maybe the slowest kick out to a three I've potentially ever seen. Really great work there. I also just briefly wanted to mention their entrances. MJF bringing out the Chris Jericho style jacket for his entrance was just wonderful. MJF, the, the, you know, it, like it, it did look very good. Little things like that. And Jericho's entrance is the closest I've felt to other human beings in the entirety of 2020. <laughs> even, like even Jericho got a bit teared up by the entire crowd singing his song. It was yeah, a nice well, moment. This- this happens every time Jericho comes out, which is why I think it's time to pull the trigger on him turning face. I reckon I reckon MJF's going to take over in a circle. Jericho and S- Sammy's going to side with Jericho. They're going to go face as like a tag team or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, nothing really much to talk about here. It was a match. It didn't insult me. I knew it wasn't going to be great because of the wrestling ability of Jericho. It was too high up on the card, I think. Definitely. But... um. Oh, we got that crappy promo we've already gone over with Kip Sabian and Miro and Best Friends. And then we're on to our main event. And before we talk about the actual main event, I just want to say how I know AEW have this thinking, like most wrestling fans, that the championship should go on last. But this match definitely didn't deserve the main event spot. I think the tag match or even the TNT championship would have been better put on in the main event spot. And here's my thinking, is that Moxley always is a brawling or weapon-heavy style, and I don't think that's a very good look for AEW in the main event. 
think Cody or or like a strong match like that tag match suits AEW's main event much better. I was really looking forward to Moxley versus Eddie Kingston. For once, I do agree with you. I think that given the storytelling, given the um, the hype, maybe more than the storytelling, and given the match quality that we, we got, I think that we should probably have had a tag team main event, FTR versus Young Bucks. This just fell flat after everything else. The violence would have been better if we just hadn't seen a horrible display of shocking violence, which put me off fake violence. Um, yeah. The the chops would have been great if we hadn't seen people chopping each other all show. I don't feel like these guys are watching each other's matches. Uh, yeah, and as you said, Moxley doing Moxley only being hardcore is getting a bit old. That being said, the personalities and characters of these two individuals made the match for me. And what was a pretty standard garbage match was uh, alleviated to a much higher quality because of the two involved. That's what I'm saying. It's like it was a decent match, but I think it was actually knocked down a peg for me because it was in the main event spot. If this was the second match on the card or even the co-main, I think I would have enjoyed it way more. But knowing that this is the final match of the night kind of killed my buzz for a little bit. I would have nixed Mud Show Matt Hardy match altogether and I would have put this straight after FTR versus Young Bucks if you're going to have those in in succession for like um yeah proper tag team to proper hardcore and then if you wanted you could have had the Cody match at the end but uh yeah as for the match I I really thought Eddie Kingston put everything he had into this uh, in the same way that his his promos did and while that wasn't He's not as good of a wrestler or a garbage wrestler as a talker. I surprised by myself with how much I enjoyed this this match because I'm not I don't usually go in for the hardcore stuff so much. These two were quite brutal. You can only imagine how fucked up their CZW matches were. Yeah, I think Eddie Eddie Kingston needs to change his ring gear. He he looks a little bit like an '80s jobber with a basketball <laughs> gimmick. Yeah, I, uh, I got the joke that Eddie Kingston finally brought his ring gear back after having to sell it before he came to AEW. Because <laughs> okay. he's just been in black shorts all the way up until now. Oh, right, really. Yeah, the, he needs to do something with his look. I, I liked the grappling and biting on the floor. That really added to like the real fight feel of the whole thing. There was a little dull part while they were getting their toys out, but after they got both got colour, this got pretty brutal pretty fast. Yeah, we got thumbtacks, we got barbed wire. I, I really like how... Um, inventive they both were because for a hardcore match it's so easy that it's just boring and you just go through the motions but these guys definitely did something a bit different i thought i thought that like kingston going into like mania and sacrificing his own hand for barbed wire and laughing manically i thought that was awesome kingston's got this energy he's got this charisma both in the mic and on the mic and in the ring which is just unbounded while it uh, showed up AEW talking about how great its rankings were because Eddie Kingston should have been in this match at all in terms of rankings. I'm really glad that they gave him a main event position to show what he was made of because he exceeded it. I, I think Kingston should be in the main event. He just needs a little bit of aesthetic training to make himself look better. And I think he'd be right there. Yeah, the big up probably doesn't help. Yeah, I was trying to be polite. <laughs> but his energy is there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I, I think the story he had with Mox, they didn't even need a championship. Again, my, my point, like, 
I think these two could have done something very effective without having to be in the main event spot. This is my thing. This is what I'm saying. That it feels like a lot of the matches on this card were were snapped too quickly. He didn't need an MJF versus Chris Jericho right now. Um, the one hundred percent, the only way that this should have been booked is Myro coming out at the last pay per view after Moxley. That's the only thing that should have happened. Kingston should. They could have had Moxley Kingston when Moxley's taken the championship away from him and he's had a return match with Omega. This could have been done next year. Yeah, there's no definitely. need for he it could right have now. Built it all the way to next year. Yeah, I agree with you. But for the actual match, the actual match was good. I really enjoyed it. The line of the night for me was uh, a couple of chair shots, and then JR goes, he should get some barbecue sauce with that chair. It'll taste much better. Oh, man. Still selling a shitty barbecue sauce 20 years later. Absolutely love it. Uh, I do want to talk about that moment when he gets the rubbing alcohol. So John Moxley yeah. has just gone into the thumbtacks, and then Kingston gets the rubbing alcohol and pours it onto his back into all the tiny puncture holes in Moxley's back, which that made me wince. That's... The first time in a long time I've watched wrestling and a weapon has actually made me feel the pain through the TV screen. Exactly same with me. He got he got that out and I thought, oh, god damn, there's going to be a fire table spot. They must be really going all out. And then he just used it to really badly hurt Moxley in a, in a different way. And I thought that was so refreshing to... Um, just take rubbing alcohol and 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 rub it in. It was so inventive. That must have legit hurt, right? Unless it was just water. Oh, definitely. I oh, know it was probably just water, though, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, don't ruin the magic. Don't ruin the magic. Don't ruin yeah, the magic. Yeah, I just ruined bro. it for myself. Anyway, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, and then so him, him wrapping the barbar around his hand was a nice little um, foreshadowing for the finish of the match where. Moxley wraps it around his arm and then puts in a chokehold on Kingston to get the win. It looked pretty brutal. Kingston finally says, I quit. It looked pretty brutal. Actually, what was really cool about the match, which we haven't said, is that like most I quit matches, there's always this really like boring silence where they're like, ask him, ask him, ask him. They weren't oh, doing that dude, in this match. I completely... they, kept, they kept going to the ref and asking, did he say it or not? This was a point that I had as well. WWE I quit matches are becoming almost unwatchable give or take the Roman Reigns match earlier, usually they start saying, ask him, ref, ask him. Like, And it, the, they awkwardly have to say through a microphone, no, I don't quit. And they do that from the first two minutes in. The first time that I noticed the ref quietly asking Moxley if he wants to quit was when he went into the thumbtacks, which was about halfway through the match. I thought they did a, a an excellent job of not making the I quit match something I don't want to look forward to, which WWE do an awful job of because they don't stop trying to ask the opponent whether whether he's hurt or not, despite the fact that he's like usually just took a back bump, you know? Yeah, I thought that was a really clever way of doing it, leaving it all to the ref. But then there was also yeah. a couple of moments I where I can't remember exactly what they said, but they're like Kingston would go, say I quit now or I'm going to hit you with this barbed wire or Moxley would do the same. So it was a bit of a twist. It wasn't like, Oh, I hurt you. Do you quit now? It's like quit now, or I'm gonna fuck you up even more. Yeah, some of the later, some recent years, I quit matches have become really, really childish in WWE, and and really sort of embarrassing and a bit cringeworthy. And this wasn't one of those things. If they do it again like this down the road, this is definitely a nice little gimmick match for them to have on reoccurrence. I hope they keep it apart though. WWE do one every three months. Uh, AEW are quite good at uh, spreading out their gimmick matches. They don't 
they don't go too heavy on them. I mean, they've only had one cage match. The Cody one. Yeah. Well, I see. I remember that. So that works. Yeah, they haven't had a last man standing. They haven't had a, some an Iron Man, anything like that. They've had a few ladder matches now. But yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty tame on their gimmick matches. That's that's nothing but a good thing in my opinion. They've had a lot of full counts anywhere. That's their go-to. That's pretty old school uh, Dusty booking, to be honest. Mm. Uh, so then, once Moxley's won, uh, Omega comes out to kind of have the the square off, and they're going to have a match down the road. Cool. Maybe at Revolution. Maybe I don't think at Revolution. I think they'll have it before then. You really? Yeah, AEW aren't very good at having number one contenders for a long time. Usually as soon as someone's number one contender, they tend to cash it in in the next couple of weeks. Well, they might have it at Beach Blast, which is apparently uh, some another thing Tony Khan talked about last night, which is, like I assume, the equivalent of Fighter Fest, where it's a, a Clash of Champions-style television special. Okay. Yeah, maybe then. I was thinking maybe... And this would be my uh, kind of fantasy booking that Omega comes out to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a championship map at Revolution, whether John Moxley is the champion or not." And then John Moxley loses it between now and then to whoever, maybe Hangman Adam Page or Cody or someone like that, just to like really have that long-term booking of that Omega is gonna have his match then, and then also Moxley can go and continue to have uh, a feud with Kingston without needing the belt in, in between them. That would be cool. Uh, alternatively, New Year's Eve is on a Wednesday. Oh, wow. Okay. So that'll be a big show no matter what, so, probably. But um, yeah, what a perfect time for the queen, the cleaner to start a new year. I think 100% Omega's going to win. I think he needs to. And I think everybody, whether they've enjoyed Moxley's run or not, I think everybody can kind of agree that it's it's run its course now. Well, he's had 10 title defences and he's had it for 200 and something odd days. 254 days. Overall thoughts on the show? Um, I, there was a few dips that almost ruined the show, but I still think definitely AEW, if not maybe everyone, the best show of the year. Best show of the year? It's, it's a contender, at least. Um, I, well, I have to look back at the other shows of the year, but this was definitely up there. there. There's a lot of good matches. It's just, sadly, there was just a few... I'm not talking about the Matt Hardy abomination. There was just a few matches that I was looking forward to which didn't quite live up yeah. to potential. Which is, I guess, me, again, being slightly picky because I, I also say state that they are good matches. I don't even know how to describe it without sounding pretentious. Like, they were three and three-quarter stars instead of... They were three and a half stars instead of three and three-quarter stars. That's the best way I can describe it. There was just something missing to get them to that next level yeah just something holding them back um overall i really enjoyed the show i'm glad i watched it uh i'm glad that i saw some of this stuff ftr young bucks was match of the night give or take my quabbles it's, it was still a really great match closely followed to me by adam page versus um kenny omega which i thought was just a masterclass. so there you go ben like three members of the elite i thought they had the best matches of the night well, the, the thing is, I think those two matches are in the conversation of being match of the year. So I think this could be in contendership for best show of the year. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, great show. I, I, I won't fully agree with you and say it's the best show of the year, but it's definitely up there. Okay, so we're done here, and our next pod will be back onto the 90s Unless something saga. distracts us again. I, Quite uh, possibly. Well, I would like to cover ML, MLW's reboot okay 
at some point. I don't, I'm not sure when that's around. Well, that's favoritism because we that. didn't cover Ring of Honor's reboot, but whatever. Oh, yeah, but uh, whatever, <laughs> that's fine. Well, no, we don't have to. I just, I just uh, <laughs> talk to myself about I'm it. Joking, I'm joking. It's cool. Okay, well, that was a long one, but I feel good about getting it all done. Like, share, and subscribe to keep it botched up, brother.